part of it in, in Finland especially is our super democratic environment environment where nobody should stick out so people people are afraid of stardom in this country yes. that's not in our culture yes. and then again I personally I don't see that as a problem in in this context because this is the marketing Helsinki podcast and I'm Tan Lei. thanks for joining me in this episode, my guest, Jaakko Tapaninen, is an entrepreneur and content marketing consultant who helps executives create content and build thought leadership. All right, let's go. Here's Jaakko. It's been a while since we spoke. Like a year or something? Yeah. Could be. I mean, it was definitely before the pandemic that we've met. Yes, the world has changed a little bit since we last spoke. All right, so let me first ask you, when you meet someone new and then they ask you, what do you do for work? What is your answer? I tell them that I'm an entrepreneur. I have my own company. I usually tell them that it's a small company Hmm. and that my company focuses on something called executive content. Then they ask me, yes. what's executive oh, content? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The next question is going to be, oh, well, what's executive content? Yeah. Uh, like, we can talk about how I sort of gravitated towards this, but executive content means helping executives, usually CEOs, with their own content in their own channels. I love this. When they do blogs, when yes. they... Uh, write newsletters, when they do their own podcast, when they prepare presentations. So I'm not helping with them with their PR in the traditional sense, like trying to get magazines or, or newspapers to write about them. I help them to speak directly to their own audiences. Hmm. And the reason they need help with this is like, of course, they're all very smart. Uh, but some of them have challenges in, for example, written expression. A professional can help them mm-hmm. to structure their thoughts and, and to express their thoughts. But the main thing is that they are super busy. And coming up with good content takes some time. I can give them that time and that professional experience and, and my craft. And uh, it's it's usually a lot of fun to to work and and they enjoy it because they get to talk about the things that they are really interested in, in sort of free manner. They don't have to worry about structure, expression, things like that. They just talk to me and then I turn it into a piece. Uh, but and let so, me ask you, like, yeah. I, I didn't un- quite understand when you said, so their own personal content, but mm. not PR. Can you explain the difference? Well, traditional PR meant that you hired a PR company and the PR company got you publicity. Uh, so that was usually exposure in traditional media, or you today you could think of it exposure in uh, contemporary media. Mm. But I'm not so, like, I sometimes help them with that a bit, but that's not my focus. I am interested in people building their own audiences, talking directly in their own voice to their 
uh, audiences. And when I say, you, you might say that, isn't that an oxymoron that you write their pieces and you talk about their own voice? Uh, I'm not writing my thoughts. I'm like mm, okay. crafting their thoughts right. so that they're as, as understandable as possible. So you interview them. I, I presume yeah, there's, that, there's a conversation, yeah. there's a meeting, and then you figure out what it is they want to say, and then you craft that message. Yes. And the more I get to learn, know them, and the more I get to know the company, the faster it becomes, and the e in most cases, and and it becomes easier also to do another. Like they might call me that, hey Yako, I need an article on this. And then, like, and then I ask them, like, what's the angle? And they say, this is the angle. This is what I'd like to say. And sometimes I can do the article even without interviewing them on the particular subject because we have spoken about it so much before and I've done my research mm -hmm. and I know the field. And then the fun part is that when you do this to several CEOs that come from different fields, kind of cross-pollinate. You understand what works here and you could use it there. And then you like, uh, you see structure, repeating structures in things, etc. And so it's sort of all of the work feeds all the work. And so is it similar to being a ghostwriter? Very similar uh, in many cases. But then there is a, I'm also a consultant when I do this for so we might discuss what would be a good article to yep. write at this yep. point. Yep. And then we come back to the company strategy. I always try to see what we do through strategy. I don't, like my forte is not tactical content, getting people to buy something today. My specialty is stra strategic content, meaning doing content that serves their long run uh, goals and then we, we we talk about and this is usually what the what ceos want to talk about uh they have marketing departments for tactical stuff and they want to start talk strategy they're interested in it and that's that's what they actually get paid for to sort of see that the the big goals uh, are reached and i help them with that we discuss this and so it's kind of consultation at the same time like what should we write about why should mm. we write about this and then especially when we co come to things like presentations then mm. do you coach uh, them yeah i coach them too and we discuss what what and how and what structure and and what what narrative should we use and things like that so it's it's more than kind of sometimes it's ghost writing but usually it's more than ghost writing it's what i call you can call it executive content or strategic content great all right, so you said earlier that we can talk about how you drifted into this. So is this <laughs> yeah. something that you drifted into? Where? How did you begin your career? Well, when you say, how did you begin your career? How, like, how far back should you start? <laughs> so, Because well, it starts like when I'm 17 and in the United States as an exchange student, and I find uh, new journalism, and I, I fall in love with that way of expressing things and that later turns me into a journalist and an editor ah. and a book publisher and a, mm. then i continue my career i become a, a ceo in a media company uh so it's a 
it's a long road. So you and started then, in journalism, and then yes, when yes, you say media yes. company, what kind of media company? Uh, this was it's the company is called Gotima. When when we talk about the where I was a CEO hmm. before I I went rogue. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's called Gotima. It's owned by the Lutheran Church of Finland. Uh, my job was not to be a priest uh, or or a minister. My job <laughs> was to run a company mm. for them. But it was a media company. They had uh, books. They had newspapers. They had new media. All sorts of things. And uh, they even made organs, like those that they play in the church. Wow! So, and candles for churches. So there it was. They they had a full buffet, and. Uh, <laughs> So I, I, I went there because that was my chance. I mean, I had done everything else in media except being a real CEO. So I wanted mm. to try that. I had, we had like 20, our turnover was 25 million and uh, we had 125 employees. And mm. so it was a nice outfit, but that's also, I started there 2010 and after like two years, the uh, perfect storm of social media and a few other things hit the company. And I I had to restructure and fire people and sell parts of it and, and do all that. And then in the, when, when I was in the middle of that process, I felt I had to make a choice. Like, am I going to kind of sink with this ship, meaning stay in the old media Try to, to try to make something profitable that I couldn't see could ever be profitable in this new environment, uh, or should I kind of reinvent myself? And and then I decided that I'd go go for the latter. I'd reinvent myself, and that meant turning into an entrepreneur and starting my own then content marketing company. I did all kinds of content marketing because I sort of I saw that this could be part of the future in mm. content marketing there is a business model in a traditional media business there is no business model left because people are not paying for content and, and the advertisers are gone so there is no business model but in content marketing there is a business model people wants to want to tell things to their audiences and they're willing to pay to reach that audience it's not it's kind of like advertising but it's not advertising like I, I saw that there's a business model. I could still do content and I do the kind of quality content I'm in, interested in. And there is a payer for someone who picks up the bill for all, all of this. So and then, can you explain the business model a little bit more? Because you said with traditional media, nobody wants to pay for Who's content. Pay? Yeah, but who, nobody wants to pay for content. Are you talking about the creators or the consumers? No, no, consumers. Right, but who, well then, today, who consumers, I would imagine, don't pay for content, do they? Because everything is free. Well, that's exactly my point. They used to, I mean, the business model of newspapers, for example, was very simple and super profitable. They got, there were two revenue sources, hmm. two main revenue sources. People paid for the content, hmm. uh, meaning subscriptions. And then you had advertisers who paid to reach that audience that was already paying yep. for the content. Uh, and now both are gone. Advertisers are, have chosen Google and Facebook. They're not advertising in, in newspapers anymore or not nearly as much as they used to. Mm. And audiences have this 
all of this free content available all over the place that it's really difficult to convince them to pay for content anymore. Some people are paying for it, of course, but it's super difficult. Right. So and, then explain the part about how you're saying today with content marketing, there is a business model. People are willing to pay. What do you mean by that? I mean, uh, if you want to tell your story to the world, mm. you hire an agency or a person or someone to help you with that. They create the content for you or they create create the content with you. And then uh, they pay you. You have someone who pays you to make content. Right. It's the one who wants to tell his or her story uh, or the company's story. And then you make the content and then you distribute it uh, through these, all these platforms that are available. But there is, what I mean is there's been this model because someone is willing to pay. Got it. So what you mean is there are, there's, there are no newspaper companies looking to pay writers. Of course, they have to pay writers, but they're not paying very well and they keep firing writers because their business model is broken. Okay, got it, got it. So it's a, it's a diminishing business. It's a, and unfortunately, I mean, to me, when I, when I speak about this, there's also sadness because I loved the old world of newspapers <laughs> and magazines. I loved running those papers mm. or, or magazines. I loved being an editor. I loved being a reporter. It was great fun, and uh, I enjoyed reading those. I still subscribe to some newspapers and, and magazines, and I love the moment when I can concentrate, focus on them. You still but, subscribe to hard copies or online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard copies. Wow. Of course, online too, but some hard copies. I, I mean, because I don't care whether it's old-fashioned or not. I, I just, like, it's, I love it. Hmm. I mean, I do too. It's always, it's good to have a, even up until very recently, it's mm. always great to have a real book in your hands. I'm talking about books now, but yeah. But now, in the, only in the past few months, <laughs> I've transitioned almost exclusively to reading on the tablet. Okay. Just because you can have, just because of the sheer numbers, I can have 70 books right now on my tablet and just scroll through them and I can read them at night without having the light on. So it's, it's hard. I'm fighting. I'm trying to resist, <laughs> but it's a uh, resistance is futile. I'm, I'm slowly, uh, I'm slowly giving in to the new, the new yeah, world. But to me, I mean, my, my house is filled with books, but still to me, books are not about quantity they're about quality i'd love to pick up one and focus on that instead of having 70 on my tablet <laughs> and scroll to through them I, I kind of understand that like going to a vacation and having a tablet with you but i still i mean there's also strange pleasure in like digging deeper into a physical book oh totally and seeing how you're proceeding it's it's there's something something very special about that by the way, that's a really new thing. Um, let me quickly tell you about this. So this guy, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Naval. His name is Naval Ravikant. Of course. His oh, okay, new you know Naval. Podcast, of course. His new podcast with Tim Ferriss is fantastic. He's the have you best. To that? Yes, I have. He's the best. So basically, Naval. Naval was the one who changed me, right? He's the one who 
gave me permission. He said, "Give yourself permission to not finish books." All right, you, I I listened to that too. You've heard and that, it, it, yeah, so and it, it had an effect. That changed on my, me, yeah. man. That yeah. because it, I realized until then. I was like, I'm stuck on this one book, and I can't move on to something else until I finish it. So I'm forcing myself to finish this thing. And now, when he said that, I'm like, he's right. Why? Why? I don't need to finish this. Screw this. So then, now I have a bunch of books, and I just jump back and forth between them, and it's so much more beneficial for me. What do you think? Oh, I I listened to the same thing, and it had a set, had the same effect on me. I I always thought that one should read. Yeah. I mean, although. I knew it's not true. I, I mean, I used to be a book publisher, mm. and as a book publisher, you cannot. There's no <laughs> way you can ever read everything that you should read. Yeah. So you learn these techniques, like uh, when you're when you're sent man you're sent manuscripts, you read a few pages, and you sure. already know whether the person can write or not, and mm. you don't read the stuff that is so badly written that mm. that it may like that you don't want to continue or if there's nothing interesting in it. So you learn to learn to stop and then you learn to, then there are books that you know that are good, but you learn to skim them because you don't, you can't read the whole thing. You know, you're going to publish it anyway. It's, it's awesome. Uh, but you should be reading other stuff. So you learn to skim things. So you, you, le- you learn these tactics, tactics, but uh, also reading professionally, meaning being a publisher and reading, mm. Because of that, is different from reading to yourself. When I've, mm. been, when I've been reading to myself uh, for my personal enjoyment or or education, I've had this idea that you should read the whole book. And then you're right. I listened to the same conversation with Naval, and that changed me today. <laughs> I don't think I have to finish books. I, I think I can book them back in the shell. Naval uh, set us free. Yes, yes. <laughs> So just quickly before we leave this subject, you said um, being a professional reader, you, you know, you picked up some habits and tips on skimming books. Like, can you point a few out? Like, what do you do? Do you look at, first of all, do you, when you open a book, do you look at all the chapters? Do you look at the contents first or do you go straight into chapter one and just read chronologically? What's mm-hmm. your method? Of course, fiction and nonfiction are two totally different games, totally mm. different worlds. With fiction, you always have to start from the very beginning and, mm. and get a feel of, of what this thing is about. Unless uh, you're psychotic. I know a few people. <laughs> I know a few people who read the last page first as a ritual. And it's like, how can you do that? And they said that oh Yeah. I'm That's not going to name great, any names, yeah. but a couple of people who are close to me in my life do I, I, that. <laughs> I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Okay, but like with fiction, you read, you start from the beginning, you get a feel of it, and then you decide whether you're going to read the whole thing or whether you're just going to sort of skim and get an idea so that in a, in a cocktail conversation, you can say, yeah, I've read it, uh, which is a lie, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah. Well, but with fiction, like, it's all about the back cover, isn't it? It's just, it's the synopsis. No, no, back cover is bullshit. Back, <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, yeah. You don't, back cover, you don't but, judge a book by its back cover. No, no. Back cover is not written by the author. Back cover is written by, uh, by the editor or by the marketing department. Mm. And it sort of represents their idea of how to what sell will this sell. book. Yes. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. But the writer bio I, I try to read, I'm interested in, in who's written it and where they come from, of course. Hmm. So with fiction, it's relatively simple. You read the beginning yep. and then you decide whether you're going to read the whole thing or whether you're going to just sort of skim and get a, get a feel of how, how it works. Yeah. But with, with nonfiction, there are like, I think, a thousand ways into a book. Uh, I often, of course, look at the table of contents to get an idea of the structure, like what's what's in there. And I, I usually read the introduction, like uh, the, or, or some sort of preface that the mm. intro that they, they've written to get an idea like what why they think they've written the book, what's mm. the backstory. And then I either read from the beginning or I read, I look at the table of contents and, and as they're reading something that I find interesting if it starts working for me, mm. then I go back in the beginning and then start reading the whole thing. But then of course there are too many books and, and I can read all of them. So there are a lot of books that I've started reading from the beginning. Yeah. And then like after a hundred pages, maybe put, you get the idea and, and, and picked up a, a new one, gotten the idea. But then I have another strategy, which is I listen to books a lot. Hmm. And with especially nonfiction books, I often start by by getting the audiobook. Hmm. I buy a lot of audiobooks, and then I start listening to something, hmm. and I either listen to it. Often I listen to the whole thing, and then I, if it's good, if it's there's stuff that I can use, if there's stuff, if there's thing something that I want to own, an idea. Mm. Uh, then I get the physical book and mm. then I can always go back to the physical book. I never go back to a, a, an audio book. Yep. And, and with audio books, I mean, it's, it's interesting because people, they're, they're the vogue now, uh, audio books, audio books, audio books. Mm. But I think audio books are at best 35% of the real thing. Agreed. I mean, when, yeah, when you when you're when you're listening to something, your mind starts wondering. You you stop. You don't hear it. If there's something complex, you don't get it. If it's a, a nonfiction book, you can't really look at the charts or whatever. There's you you miss so much. Mm. But then, of course, we come back. Then there's a special case of of business books and and self help books and other contemporary must-read books that often have, as we know, just one idea that could be expressed in a blog mm. and then they've written a book around it. Yep. And then you find a way to sort of find that idea, get that idea, yep. and, and you don't need to read the rest of the book. Yep. But Americans are, especially the Americans, are very good at hiding <laughs> the real point. <laughs> They can go on for, yeah, and that's what I, it's, it's supposed to be a sort of very efficient society, but in their communication, when you look at their videos, when you read their like uh, nonfiction books, uh, they can go on forever kind of marketing the thing before they get to the point. It's, in, it's crazy. Do you want to name some examples? Mm, no, I don't think. Come on, give me one. Uh, no, nothing comes to mind, but okay. like this frustration is, is yeah, 
I run into it all the time. Yeah, I hear. I I know what you mean. Sometimes you get it from the title. <laughs> the whole and, point. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. No. You know, no, an you, idea is an idea. It's it's got value whether it's five hundred pages or just one page or just. In fact, I can give you some examples that are actually that I like that are good. For example, the one thing. Uh, I oh yeah. It's by. yeah. All right. Great book. Yeah. And it t- the title tells you what it is and. You just go through the book for examples, and yeah. even um, Nassim Taleb, Anti Fragile. Mm. Yeah. Do Do you know that book? Oh sure. Anti Fragile. Now again, super can, important book. At the super moment, yeah. important, and you can you can summarize it in two sentences, but yeah, the but whole again, book just reinforces it, and sometimes people need that. Yeah, you're correct, but then then again. Sometimes it's nice to, when you find a nice idea like anti-fragile, it's, it's fun, enjoyable, and educational to dwell on it, to hmm. spend time with that idea. Yes. Or I, I'll give you another, one, one thing is the same thing. It's, it's you, you get it as soon as you see the, well, the title and, and you read a page. The first chapter, yeah. Yeah. But then again, it's fun to sort of, I like this idea. I want to... Sort of spend time with this idea, so you can mm. read on, and then you get examples, and you get little angles, and and uh, See, this experiences, a... and and it's fun. Yeah. Uh, one one book I would like to mention in in this context is is a book. Uh, wait a minute, by an. Uh, it's called Never Split the Difference. Oh yes. Okay, you know this one. It's on yeah, negotiating. Yeah, I have it. I, it's, I'm looking yeah. at it right now, actually, on my bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. So there, you also get the idea as soon as you look at the title. If you know what what they mean, it it means that in a hostage hostage negotiation scene, you cannot split the difference. Yeah, I'll get, I'll settle for half of the hostage. Mm. That that doesn't work. Mm. You have to win one hundred percent, and but then, also like, make the other party feel like they've also won. That's the key. Yeah. It's not about yeah. taking from the other person. It's about both of you winning. That's the point of that book point both of you winning but you getting everything meaning you get the whole the, everybody that is held that are held hostage you don't mm-hmm. get just half okay well maybe we so if we the way i see it the message from that book is you get 100 and they get 100 not they get zero you get 100% and they get 100%. That's a good negotiation. And it's possible. And Naval talks about that, right? It's a positive sum game. Meaning, you know, just because I win, it doesn't mean somebody else has to lose. Mm, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sure if I agree. Many of his examples are pretty rough when he's like teaching negotiation tactics when you're buying something or renegotiating something it's about you winning as much as you can (laughs) yeah but but don't you think this is an example that you should read more than the title (laughs) yeah it is that's why this wasn't one of my examples this this is this is not a book where it tells you everything in the title or even in the first page my uh, my examples were anti-fragile and the one thing and maybe i have a couple more but never split the difference that's an example of a nuanced book and something like Sapiens, you're not going to get it 
from just looking at the title and one page. Oh, no. So, no, no. no, you have to. Sapiens is an example of a book that you have to have to read the whole thing. And multiple it. times. And then, yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, Harari is on on the Ferris podcast. Okay. But well, let, yeah. let's move. Now that we're on the subject of podcasts, tell me about your projects because i know you have 10x and you just told me you have a new project a new podcast can you first tell me about 10x podcast 10x podcast has just been reborn oh okay as rebranded it yes i've rebranded it or and it's been reborn as hybrid times podcast oh but yeah but uh yeah 10x podcast i started that already uh four years ago because Mm. When I started my journey as an entrepreneur, I wanted to learn as much about the strange times we lived in, especially the change in media. Mm. Uh, And um, I started exploring that together with my friend Marco Ahtisaari. And we decided that we'd write a book about the change in the changing media environment and its sort of social and economic effects and mm. um the we we called called around uh experts around the world um we talked about talked to joy ito uh, at mit we talked to <laughs> brett easton ellis all kinds of people and then sort of distilled a book in which we tried to explain the effect of digital digitalization on media and on society. And we focused on something called the 10X effect or 10X idea, which means that when you are improving a traditional analog product, you mm. improve it a, it a little bit. And then mm. you say you have a new version of it and, and, and this year's uh, product or whatever. But when you're approaching things in the digital space, you're trying to do something that is at least 10 times better than what's out there. Mm. It should be 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, 10 10 times more fun to use. An order of magnitude. Yeah. And so then it can spread really fast. It's like it attracts customers. It spreads really fast. Uh, you can and you can win big with that. That that that's the new world, and we explored that and and wrote about it in our book called Ten X Finland. We tried to see Finland through this Ten X mm. lens too. And then I because I'd been listening pod, to podcasts and it it attracted me. I started my own podcast called Ten X Finland, mm. and there I interviewed mostly entrepreneurs and some other experts too from different fields. Mm. Uh, like uh, athletes and and, uh, investors and people like that, but mostly entrepreneurs Mm. uh, and about their life, about their story, but also how they saw the societal change and how they saw digital opportunities in their personal life, in their company's life and sort of in broader context too. And I did that for, for, uh, for, as I said, almost four years, but, during the last year, already before the pandemic, I started thinking that this podcast is about looking for digital opportunities. It's, it's, it sees digitalization as something that is going to happen in the future. Hmm. 
And I started to get this like growing feeling that it has happened already. We've moved, digitalization is here. It's, it's all over the place. We're living it. And, uh, and it has cha- shaped our lives. So instead of looking at digitalization, virtualization as something that is yet to come, that is an opportunity, we should look at it as sort of the water we're swimming in. Mm. Uh, and also I wanted to broaden because I'm interested in, in societal change too, not just business. So I thought I wanted to broaden it a little bit. And uh, then during the pandemic, I started thinking, I mean, that we like the whole world moved into, into the internet. Mm-hmm. The digitalization took a giant sleep, uh, leap uh, mm-hmm. And I felt that now is the time to rebrand the show. And there's, of course, there's a risk to it. When you rebrand the show, you can't do it in the, exactly the same channels as you did. You have to build the technical re- distribution. You cannot continue in the same sort of with the same account. You have to start a new account and have people mm. subscribe to your new show. And, and so there is a lot of work like that if you decide to rebrand your show. But, oh, you couldn't just but, change the name and stay in the old No, you account. can't. No, 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 you can't. Um, mm. Or it, it gets really complicated if you mm. do. You, you so might how does that feel? Of, so you're starting from zero. It, the, the thing <laughs> is that this is, the, the re- important thing here is that this is not my livelihood. I mm. don't get paid, for, paid to do this. I do this for yep. fun. Yep. Uh, so I'm doing it for me yep. also. So important. Uh, yeah, I'm doing it for me too. And therefore, like, had it been a, my livelihood, I wouldn't have had the courage to start from zero there. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thrown away a brand that was yep. working. But here I wanted to do this. I wanted to wanted to sort of restart. And uh, it's it's a bit scary, but it's also fun to start working kind of from zero up again. Look, you can, you, I'm looking at di- very different numbers at the moment, and uh, but of course they're heading in the right headed in the right direction, because when you have a podcast like mine, where you where I'd been publishing uh, podcasts for several years, there's a long tail. Hmm. Every someone's listening something every day, hmm. and also the old old shows are working. Hmm. Uh, but when you start a new, you don't have that back catalog. That so it's only the new shows that matter. Mm. A bit scary, but a lot of fun, and mm. especially fun to be able to be more flexible about the show. Like I can with 10x, I there there, there was a like a structure to those shows that I kept like kind of repeating, although the the um, guest changed. But mm. here, I think I can also develop the structure for a while mm. and find find the best way to do the new show. So at the moment, the the first shows, the first uh, episodes, there is a episode on Marco Ahtisari and the episode on Kirsi Piha. Mm. Uh, I think they're the content is great, very good, very uh, mm. great, great guests. But the way I'm doing it is somewhere in between the old 10x show and and then something that is to come and um, i enjoy that that i'm sort of iterating the new show trying to figure out 
but I, I guess for me, it suits me to try to figure out how to do things. I enjoy that. Mm. And are you sticking to Finnish language? No, the plan is to do, uh, it's actually the name of the show is Hybrid Times Hybridielama. Most of the shows will be in Finnish, but I will mm. be doing English language shows too. Mm. You should. Yeah. You, you. I think I've told you this many times before, but I think you speak the best English out of anyone Finnish that I know. Thank you, Tan. Um, but then again, do you feel it's important to niche to Finland, you know, to target Finland mm-hmm. as a niche market? There's much, le- much less competition in Finland mm. um, in that sense too. No, but like, well, Finland... Finland's my country. I'd like mm. to find ways to be part of the discussion, to help it along. Uh, and that in Finland, we think it's getting more and more international and it is, and the young generations are different, but it's still very remote. It's still <laughs> very, I would like to almost use the word marginal. Mm. And it's still very Finnish. <laughs> uh, Finns like to listen to Finnish language podcasts and Finnish language shows. Yep. And then again, uh, you can usually, the, the whole idea of a podcast, it's to get deeper, to get them op- to open up. And that's so much easier in Finnish when I'm talking to another Finn. When they're yes. so much I think a lot is lost when we switch to English. Let's talk about quickly a content. Um, is there, do you feel like different types of content are successful in Finland uh, compared to outside of Finland? I've always done kind of niche content. Uh, I started at, a newspaper called City for Young Urbanites. So that was sort of, it was kind of a yuppie paper. Uh, but that's, we used the word yuppie back in the 80s. So it wasn't for everybody. It was for a particular audience. Then I moved on to, uh, moved to Image, Image Magazine, and that was even a narrower public. And then when I became a book publisher, most of the books we did is, are, of course, they reach just a few thousand people. So I've always worked with narrow audiences. Mm. And in, in that sense, I can't answer the question like what appeals to Finns in general, in masses. I'm not very interested in that, to be mm. to be honest with you. Um, what, what I like is that Finns still read good fiction. I think that's something that... Um, but, the, the audiences are getting smaller and smaller, but there is still an audience for good fiction. And uh, for example, the book fair in Helsinki that was of course virtual this year, but hopefully will come back as a live event uh, uh, has, is an example that there are a lot of folks that are like really interested in, in reading good uh, fiction and good literature. Uh, then I was a little taken aback as a publisher when I, understood what kind of nonfiction Finns read because I grew up at a, in a family where, where we read what, what you might call sort of quality nonfiction 
um, mm. on, on politics and, and, and societal trends and, and things. And I thought people were like history and stuff. I thought people were like that, but, but, but when you look at the bestseller lists, it's like bad self-help and crosswords and, and, and joke books. It's bullshit. <laughs> and, and that was a, <clears throat> that was a disappointment. It's really difficult to publish a good, solid, educational, well-written nonfiction book in Finland successfully. Mm. Well, tell me a little bit more about the marketing side. So, for example, content marketing. Even though you say you said earlier, it you don't write something that somebody can buy today. It's more about the long-term st- strategic. Um, you know it's a goal yeah trying to verbalize visions yes yeah do you find that here it's like Finns are generally they don't like to promote themselves so when you when you have these executive clients they generally do not want to sell themselves or just they don't because yes yes and the yes. reason um, they do that is because of the response they get because fins in general are quick to judge something as oh this is bragging could be could be but then again a ceo that or another executive people that i'm working for should not be talking about themselves they should be they should be te- themselves talking about ideas, mm. talking about what's important. And there, I think there is a like huge opportunity that people fail to see. People are still old school in corporate communications thinking that they should do PR, like work through uh, newspaper mm. or, or, or TV or and try to get exposure elsewhere. Uh, instead of developing their own strong voice. They're afraid of their, developing a strong voice. They're afraid that, uh, yeah, 50% will get it and 50% will hate them if they have an idea. Well, that's the way it is. Sorry. Uh, they, you have to learn to live with that. And they're afraid that if, if like their CEO gets too much exposure and people like him or her, then when the... CEO gets fired, they're in mm. trouble. Mm. And so people look at this through the negatives all the time, <laughs> not through the positives. We have, you could almost say that no one follows companies anymore. No one follows organizations. Exactly. People I agree. follow people. Yes. People are interested in people. People are interested in people's stories, ideas, experiences, failures, dreams, People want to hear that. And in the executive context, that's what executives should be doing. They should be like voicing things. Uh, they should be step forward and, 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 and talk about what's important to the company, how they see the future, how they are reacting to the trouble we have, have today and, and not try to polish things, talk talk like human beings, of course, strategically, they have a job to do. They have to grow the value of the company and not destroy it. That's, that's, that's their job, but still Mm. you can have, they should engage in constructive conversations. That's what what people would be interested in, but they're afraid of doing that. 
Uh, but why? Little... Like, can you? Yeah. Can you narrow it down to a couple of things? Like, why are they afraid of doing that? Why are they afraid to become more visible? And I think part of it in in Finland especially is our super democratic environment environment where nobody should stick out. So people people are afraid of stardom in this country. Yes, that's not in our culture. Yes, and then again, I. Personally, I don't see that as a problem in in this context because I don't think an executive should seek personal stardom. Mm. He should and she should seek exposure to the ideas, to the visions, to observations that they're making. Well, then it becomes a matter of how confident are you in your ideas? Because I meet a lot of founders. And a lot of executives who, even people who I think are really well educated and have so much to share, they say, "Oh, what, you know, nobody's going to listen to me." Or they'll say, "It's already out there. There are so many people already saying that. Why do I need to repeat it?" If you're a CEO, you can't think that way. Your job is to advance your company. You can't think that you could. You shouldn't be out there telling your story. You must be out there telling your story. How do、period. you res- how do you respond to those who say I don't have anything new or unique to say? Do you think it has to be new? And I don't work for them. I mean, because people who seek my services are like first of all, they are often. I, I, I've been talking about a lot of, of CEOs. They're not all, all, always CEOs, but CEO is often the only person. Who is allowed to say things in an organization? Everybody else is afraid, <laughs> and and sticking to a sort of a code of conduct that they have come up with that that sort of、uh, inhibits people from saying anything interesting.、Uh, and so the CEO is the only one often who has the guts and the right to say something. So therefore, it's good to work work for them. But then again, people. Who are confident with their ideas and their business idea and 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 the, how they the th- thoughts on the future, they are the ones who seek help, not the ones. <clears throat> yeah, I've I've had some cases at, along the way where people haven't had that much to say and they have wanted to sound interesting, and that's of course terrible. It never. Gets you anywhere. It's, it's super frustrating for everybody. But it's it's、um, in 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 my work. As I said, CEOs often have more to say than they have time and resources to say, and I can、mm. help them with that. And then also the fact that I work in、uh, mostly in English, and we do this content for the international for an、mm. international audience、okay. helps. They are the the sort of. The rules are a little different. You could, they can, they feel they can take engage in a more intense discussions in English than they could in Finnish, which is funny, but that's that's the way it often is. And、yeah. they have fans outside of Finland,、um, and that gives gives them confidence too, that they when they post something and they get really good feedback on LinkedIn from other countries. That boosts their、uh, self confidence, and they don't worry about negative feedback from Finland as much. <laughs> the negative, the dreaded negative feedback. Yeah, well, that's as we both know. We humans are animals that are 
super sensitive to negative feedback. And also humans are animals that love to give negative feedback. It's so much easier for humans to, to be negative, do you think? At least today. I, I, I yes. mean, I think <laughs> I have, I'm not sure, but I've lived through times when in my bubble or segment or group or, or part of the society, what have you, I've felt that there was an optimistic drive and people were supporting cool yeah. things that other people were doing, at least in that bubble. Okay. Uh, so you, the, you, yes, there was negative feedback, but it was from the outside. It was from the enemy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was from the people who's like the others who you didn't agree with. And, and I'm not talking about groups that are like super small, meaning my, my bubble would have been super small. Let's like back in the eighties when we were making uh, city magazine and our image magazine, we were still talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who were super optimistic and wanted to build different lives than their, their parents had 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 and, mm. and wanted to, wanted to build a Finland that would be, more interesting, more exciting, more colorful, more fun to live in than the Finland past. Yep. And, and so there was this optimistic drive. And today, generally, I think the environment has changed mm. and, and there is so much more, probably because of social media and because like being able to shoot from the trenches. Mm. Uh, there is so much more negativity. And, but it's also part of it is that it, it's, of course, super difficult to see and paint a very positive future at the moment. There are, there are very few positive stories around. There are positive developments here and there, like electric cars or, or uh, you know, longevity or something. But in, in general, I think the future looks bleak to people and that's it's difficult to be optimistic when it's like that yeah how much of that do you think is the future actually being bleak or the messages right the media portrayal because do we know of course it's i mean it is we, we both bleak. like I mean, ryan holiday and we've both talked yeah. about um trust me i'm lying mm. like how, we both know how much of the media thrives on pushing negativity out there because that's what our that animal sells, instincts respond to cuts, yeah 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 it like th i think there are two things here one is that we have very very big challenges there's no denying at, at least to me that uh, the, the whole sort of international system and 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 democracies are in in major trouble at the moment. We are super mm. disorganized and, and we have to get our shit together if we want to move um, towards a, a better uh, future. I mean, we're, we're, this is very destructive, what we're seeing at the moment. That's how I see mm. it, uh, um, sort of how, how, how humans are organizing things or disorganizing things. And then we have the challenge of climate change. So mm. I think there are like big, big challenges that, and there's no denying that they are there. But then at the same time, I very much believe in, believe that future is what you make it. And mm. there, 
you're right. Most of the information we see and get and hear is super negative instead of uh, being constructive. Yeah, well, let's try to end this on a positive note. Um, I just want to say, yeah. Well, I'm optimistic. I mean, <laughs> yeah, or, 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 me too. Have, like, I'm super and, optimistic. And, yeah. I'll tell you why. Why? Because uh, you've probably heard this. The, the, you know, the stronger you become, the more challenges you're able to take on, right? So even mm. though our challenges have grown, we're also stronger. It's like lifting weights. The first day when you're a tiny, skinny boy, you're only going to be able to lift this. But the stronger you become, the heavier weights you can lift. So right now, as a species, we're staring at this huge you know, stack of weights to lift. But also we should be confident and look at ourselves and go, wow, we're, you know, this is the most developed we've ever been. This is the most prosperous times where we know more than we've ever known. Obviously, we you know, we have the combined cumulative knowledge of all the people behind us. So we're strong. We're stronger than we've ever been. Yes, this challenge is heavier than it's ever been, but we can lift it. You know, we have the resources and, and the knowledge to lift it. Mm. Uh, what, but <clears throat> when we were talking about let's let's say weightlifting, as you know, you can lift amazing weights. Yep. If you like technique. with your will. Yep. A technique, but with 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 your will too. Okay. The, sure. the guy with the will will always win. The guy with the technique, okay. if they are like equally strong. Mm. Uh, I think. Are you saying? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying, but are you questioning? Do we have the will? Yes, we we have the technique. We have the we have the muscles. Resources. We have the we, technique. We have everything. Do we but, have the will? Uh, that's a good question. Hmm. And that's um, here we come back to this uh, sort of negative feedback uh, loop that we're we're in. Uh, like, how could we get a sort of a positive feedback loop going? Yes. I think it starts with the individual. Uh, I always like to come back to the people that are <laughs> shouting the most about how much change the world needs to make are the people that need to fix themselves the most. Like, fix yourself mm -hmm. first. Everything everything will work out. I truly believe that. Like, the, the best way for me to help me personally to help the world is to become the best that I can be. Because then I'm adding another strong, capable, well-balanced human being onto this planet. That, and then I'd like to add, like, find like-minded people because one plus one is always more than two. Oh, I like that. Yep. Yep. Combine. Get stronger together. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I very much believe in the individual too, and I think that's the decisive thing. But then again, no one can do it alone. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, all of it all starts with the mindset of I will improve myself. Oh, I yeah. mean, that's the beginning. That's ground zero. After that, once you start improving, then you'll automatically attract other improving people. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, but then I think there are different mindsets to improving yourself you can be like very self-centered and and even arrogant in your self-improvement or you can be humble you can listen you can like focus on on learning you can focus on the on the long run and 
focus on interaction, yeah, doing I things would, with other people. I would argue the self-centered, arrogant people don't have in their mind like the thought, okay, I'm improving myself. They don't have that. And that's exactly what I'm saying. You have to go back to that thought, okay, how can I improve myself today? How can I be better today? If you're arrogant and self-centered, it means you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about other things. Mm, I guess so. If but... you just, you know, take, just slow down, close your eyes, take, oh, I don't want to get, you know, just take a breath and just ask yourself, how can I do good today? How can I be better today? That automatically removes the arrogance, right? I mean, it should, mm. theoretically. Maybe I'm being too optimistic here, too naive. Mm. No, no. I think you're, <laughs> it sounds like you're on the... <clears throat> Sorry, I think it sounds like you're on the right path. I don't see a negative side to trying to improve yourself. Yeah, but if you're trying to improve yourself in relation to others... Yeah, no, this then, is key. Then, yeah, if you you're trying to improve... At, yeah, you can't do it at the cost of others. No. But this is why I love what Naval said and uh, never split the difference. The, the message I take is we can all, right? I, just because I'm improving myself, it doesn't mean you have to go worse. That's the point. That's the key. No, no. Me getting doesn't better mean, doesn't mean I mean, And getting I'm better doesn't mean... You. doesn't necessarily mean winning. Yes, so it doesn't. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm I'm better than you. I'm going to crush you. I'm going yes, to rob exactly. you. Exactly. I'm going to show that you that I'm a like a stronger human being than you are. Right. That's think, yeah. That's yeah. completely the wrong way. And that's you wouldn't be doing that if you just took a breath, noticed the obvious, and you know if you just censor yourself, then you wouldn't. The first thing you would notice is I don't need to compare myself to others. I don't need to take from others in order to gain. Mm -hmm. The more you give is actually the path. Oh man, that Instead is Instead of really... taking from people. Yeah, that's that's true, giving. but that's so hard to for most people to understand. For me, I still struggle. I still struggle. Of course we to, all struggle. We're human. Because it's not intuitive. Still... You know, the more you give, you should be giving and sharing. And that's why I've started with that's why I started my path on this, like on the podcast, on the blogs, mm -hmm. on the videos, on the sharing. Like this is, I, I'm going to at least start sharing my story. Mm -hmm. That's my first step towards giving. Yeah. But we're talking about mindsets, like whether it's a giving mindset or taking mindsets, then yes. the tactics are another thing, like how, how you decide to do it. But like, are you on this earth to make it better to give or yes. are you, here to take everything you can. Absolutely. So let's all be more giving. I think that's a nice way to end it. Constructive, optimistic. <laughs> okay. And lift those weights too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yako, thank you so much. Thank you, Tan. Enjoyed it. All right. That was Yako Tapaninen. You've been listening to the Marketing Helsinki podcast. Please visit the website for more episodes. I'm Tan Lei. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.